Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mornings with Ron. I'm so glad to have you with us. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedules to come and listen to our series that we're doing now on passion. We're talking to some very interesting people that are very passionate about things that they're doing in their life. And I hope that some of the things that we talk about and the things that you hear are things that you could take away and do in your own life as well. I also wanted to mention and thank you for everyone who's been giving me comments about my book that was released um, about a week and a half ago. Mornings with Ron is now available on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. And I've been getting feedback from people and actually pictures from people uh, holding the book, uh, which is very exciting as it starts to spread around. So if you get it and if you read it, uh, let me know what you think. And then uh, go actually go out and write a review on Amazon. And hopefully uh, you'll find some words in there that you'll be able to use uh, in your life as well. So this week in our passion series, we're very fortunate to have not only my uh, really good friend, but also my Mahjong teacher, who's going to tell us about all things Mahjong. So welcome to the podcast, Barney Glacio. Hi, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here today. So good to have you. Barney, before we get into uh, Mahjong, uh, which we all know is your passion, tell us a little bit about what you do in your real job. Okay, wonderful. Ron, as you know, we met uh, what has to be close to 30 years now ago at Medco, which is a, a company that administers prescription drug programs for many, many Americans. And I, I left Medco and Express Scripts about five years ago and uh, took some time off. And I currently work for a small startup PBM, prescription benefit management company based out of Atlanta called Pillow, P-H. And we do a lot of the same things that uh, you and I did at Medco with, with emphasis on uh, smaller clients. These are you know, basically clients of probably less than 5,000 lives each, smaller clients. We help their patients take their drugs and take them at the right time at the right cost. And we came up with the name Pillow because we want patients to be able to go to bed at night and rest easily. And certainly with all the things going on in the world right now, I think we've chosen a good name for the company. Yeah, there's no question about that. We all need to rest our heads a little easier when we go to bed at night, don't we? Yes, absolutely. As we get into uh, the, the Mahjong discussion, one thing, I recently interviewed uh, Fern Oliphant and Cheryl Perry from Destination Mahjong, and I said during that podcast that most people confuse Mahjong with the online matching tile game, when in reality, it's so much more. What I didn't do in that particular podcast was tell people who aren't familiar with the game what it is. And it's actually a game that was developed in China during the Qing dynasty and spread throughout the world since the early 20th century. And it's played with 144 tiles that are based on Chinese characters and symbols. And most of us, as you know, play under the National Mahjong League rules where card has possible combinations of hands that you can make. And a new card comes out every year, but even more than just a game, there's a whole lot that goes into Mahjong from a personal perspective, which leads to a lot of opportunity for passion to develop in the players that actually play the game. So tell us a little bit about how you got started playing Mahjong. I would love to. Uh, I was just telling you a little while ago that I worked for Medco and Express Scripts for a number of years, and then... I decided I needed to take a little break from that. And literally on my last day of employment, which was May 4th, 
five years ago. So I'm get, getting ready to celebrate my five-year anniversary of playing and knowing Mahjong. One of my dearest friends from college, Julie, who I hope is listening to this, Julie said, you need to come over to my house tonight. I know it's your last day of employment. I want to show you something. I have something that I think you're going to love, and it's this game that I play on a regular basis called Mahjong. At that time, I had never even heard of the game, and I went to her house that night. She and two of her dear friends, who she plays with regularly, uh, welcomed me to the game, and they were teaching me that night. And literally, Ron, within an hour of playing, I knew that Mahjong was going to be something I would do forever. I loved everything about that first experience, and fortunately, I picked it up fairly quickly, but it was just an amazing thing, and I'll always be indebted to Julie for turning me on to something that I know I'm going to be doing for a very long time. Yeah, I remember talking to you not long after that, the excitement in your voice that I heard from what you had just experienced in learning to play was, it was pretty obvious that it was going to be something that was going to stay with you for, for some time. What do you think is a unique skill that's required or maybe even one that you have that's helped you be successful in the game so far? I think, first of all, as people get more familiar with the game, many of us strongly believe, I know this isn't proven anywhere, but many of us strongly believe that there is a big percentage of luck that uh, is involved in Mahjong. My, my thought is about 70% of the game is luck and the other 30% is skill. And in that skill category, I think it's really, I think the better players are those who can quickly recognize patterns. As you get more familiar with the game, you realize that we're following a card that lays out certain patterns that we need to make the winning patterns using these tiles. So is to be able to quickly recognize patterns based on the tiles that you originally receive uh, is an important skill. I, I think then the second skill is to know when, if things aren't working out the way you want, how can you switch that hand to an, another hand so that you can continue to play in that game. Uh, but one of the things that I've always said, uh, and, I, and we'll talk a little bit about teaching hopefully today, I, I, I teach this game now, and one of the things that I spend a lot of time teaching in my course is that I think one of the most important lessons, or the important things to know is that you really need to know the card inside and out. So the ability to understand the card and get super familiar and intimate with the card I think is the other probably most important thing that makes people, you know, play better than others. Really knowing the card inside and out, I think is absolutely key. Is there something in particular about the game that excites you the most? Great question. And uh, I've asked myself this question a lot. And the answer is there are many, many different elements of the game and even playing the game that I think has sort of made me a little crazy about the game. And that is one, it's, it's social, right? You play with friends and, and some of these are new friends that I had not met before being turned on to Mahjong. So it's a social element of going to people's houses or you know welcoming people to your home when you're hosting a game in your play. There's always great snacks at these you know social events. So it's always fun, you know, eating fun snacks, meeting people clearly. And then there's something in the, the, the beauty of the tiles themselves. Many of my friends know that I collect uh, sets. I have quite a large collection of them. There, a lot of them are very different from one another. And there's something really beautiful in just looking at some of the sets, especially some of the older vintage sets with 
tiles were literally carved by hand and made of very interesting material. So I think the social element and the friendship part of it is, is key. There's an element of beauty to looking at the tiles. And Ron, since you've known me for so many years, if I asked you, you know, what is my one biggest fear in life? What's my biggest fear in life? Boredom. Boredom. Absolutely. And I think the reason why this game speaks to me in, in such an important way is that you can't get bored with this game. You know, when you start to look at those first 13 or 14 tiles that are up on your rack and you're playing and, you know, those patterns are always different. There's, you know, infinite number of different patterns that you can see. And I believe everyone is different. It's always a, a new challenge. It's always like a little puzzle to get started with the game. I think that has kept me very intrigued, even after playing playing now for almost five years. It's so funny because as you know, I tell myself as exciting as the game can be, there are times that it can also be infuriating. And we'll talk about that <laughs> in a little bit as well. Is there anything that you know now that you wish you had known when you were starting out? Yes, uh, th there are a couple of different things. Though I think probably the most important one, and this probably just comes with time in in, in playing the game. Uh, you know, one of the things you you know, a lot of people will say, you know, I go, I start to play. There's one hand that I like, and I play that hand. And if it comes in great, and if it doesn't come in, there'll be another game in ten or fifteen minutes. I believe it's important to be able to know how to switch and exactly when to start switching hands, when the tiles that you were hoping for are not showing up, the, the ability to switch is a very important aspect of the game. But for me, the one thing that I feel that I still even can do better than I do today is I'm tempted sometimes to perhaps pick up a tile or to what we call claim a tile too quickly. There might be another one of those tiles that'll come out in a bit. And so I need to not quite claim tiles so quickly as I do or have done in the past. I think I've gotten a little better at it, but I think being patient uh, is an important part of this game and knowing when to take action and when to hold back a little bit. So I would say being a little bit more patient is something, you know, I wish somebody maybe made it more clear to me early on, but that's one of the things I'm trying to do myself to, to become a better player. It is definitely a game of patience, that's for sure. And I mentioned sometimes infuriating. Most Mahjong players believe that winning goes in cycles, and sometimes those losing cycles can go on, I think, way too long. I think I'm in one of those right now that seems like it's been going on forever. Do you find that with your play as well? Absolutely. And and I think we've all said it's this is a good week, this is a bad week, this is a good week, this is a bad week. I think we all feel like, how can it be that, you know, some days everything happens right. You get jokers when you want jokers. If you don't have jokers, you can win the difficult section of the card that we call singles and pairs. So there's definitely that. But Ron, you know, one of the things I also think is important to realize is sort of just a little bit of the probability of things here. And you know, as you know, I'm a I'm a math person. I've always loved math and I really wish I could teach math someday. But when you think about a game, you know, and you're playing with three of your friends, so four of you are sitting around the table playing. Five things can happen. I win, you win, the other two players can win, or none of us wins. And we call that a wall game. So there are really just five outcomes, right? One of the four people at the table wins, and there's a wall game. So there are five different outcomes. So if all of those things happened about the same, if we were all of the same skill set, you would think that, you know, 20%, there's only a 20% chance in any given game that you're going to win. 
When you think about it, you know, you could have a night when you're playing eight games. And if you only had a 20% chance of winning, you know, any game, you could have you know, a really bad night where you don't win any of those games. Or you could have a phenomenal night where, you know, luck was with you and the tiles were with you and you win a lot of them. So I think there's something even mathematical about these peaks and valleys that go to the fact that really when you think about it, you only have a 20% chance in any given game of, of winning a game. If only we could win 70% of the time, which is uh, <laughs> it just, it just doesn't happen. Spring uh, is normally an exciting time for those in the Mahjong world. And even though with what's going on around us right now, right now Mahjong players get excited because uh, our new card comes out. And a lot of people find themselves getting bored with the old card when we get to an end of a Mahjong year. How long does it take you to get bored with a card um, when you start playing it? Because I know you pick up the card pretty fast. I pick up the card quickly, and I know it's a, it's a crazy little habit that I and I know a number of other people have, is that I like to make a little mark next to um, the hands that I win, and I like to complete the card and you know maybe even try to win every hand, certainly twice before I stop, stop marking the card. Because I play so many games every week, you know, I typically get the card done fairly quickly, and then I try to note the second one. So I, w- I would say probably after a few months, I've gotten to the point where I know things very well inside and out. But again, there are lots of different ways of making particular hands. They could be in different suits and whatever. So there's a lot of different ways that you can even make some of the winning hands. So I think I'm good with the card every year for you know probably eight or nine months. When we start coming around the holidays at the end of the year and we start going into the beginning of the new year, I think we all get very excited that, you know, end of March, beginning of April, we'll all have a new card. So that's probably right around the beginning of the year that I say, now I'm really at the point where I'd like to see that new card. I'm wondering what patterns they're going to create. Uh, One of the things I've also pointed out to folks is that if you look at this year's card versus last year's card, The league, the National Mahjong League in New York City, does something very interesting every year, and that is just about a third of all the hands on the card are exactly repeated or very close to exactly repeated from last year's card. And the league has been sort of consistent about this because their feeling is every year there will be new people learning the card and maybe have only played for one year, and it helps a newer person transition to a newer card knowing that about a third of the hands are going to be exactly the same as last year. So there were those winning hands that you're already super familiar with. And then over time, you'll start to play with some of the newer hands as well. So, you know, I think that's an interesting and a smart strategy uh, that the league uses every year with uh, in terms of how they develop a new card. I know a lot of people that don't understand the game of Mahjong or really don't know a lot about the game of Mahjong would probably be surprised or maybe not surprised to learn that there's been a lot of studies done on the game itself and the positive cognitive aspects of Mahjong. And of course, we're talking about cognitive abilities. That's near and dear to my heart with the Bring Smiles to Seniors program. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. And in fact, One of the things that I remember, one of my early memories of the game is that uh, I told you Julie and her friends taught me to play, and Julie introduced me to some of her other groups here in New Jersey that she plays with. And I remember meeting one woman, you know, at one of those very, very early games who, you know, had celebrated her 90th birthday. And here I am thinking, here's this really sharp 90-year-old woman who is just, you know, whipping out butt in many of these games that we play. And 
when I spoke to her about it, she she strongly felt that obviously there's an element of genetics in all of this. So you know we're not discounting that, but she believed that certain sort of mind activities helped her uh, in in many ways, and she directly correlated it to this one game that she plays. That she said it's it's constantly making me think. It's again, it's the seeing the patterns, it's knowing the card, it's you know switching new hands. And she said it's all of those things that keep me. You know, very fresh and thinking, and she says I it really helps. She also does crossword puzzles and a couple of other fun things, but I do believe that just having our brains engaged with something that is, you know, a little challenging. It, you know, I think people would, you know, agree that you can't learn mahjong in a day or a week or a month. I mean, you might know the basic rules, but it takes a while before you really quote unquote have mastered the game. And there is a lot of thinking, so. I would I would agree with you that it certainly does help, and I've read a lot of articles too. Uh, people have shared articles online that talk about you know games uh, and this game in particular that people strongly believe it does help. I think one of the exciting things for me is that we learned this game at the age that we did, yes. right? So that we get to play this for a lot of years as we start to worry about those cognitive things that are going on in our life. Along with the game itself, and the game is exciting, obviously, just to play it, but there's a whole social aspect that goes along with Mahjong that is utterly incredible. The, the, the people that I've met, the people that you've introduced me to, and how these people become a part of your life in a way that uh, a lot of people never have an opportunity to become a part of your life. The social aspect is probably one of my most favorite things about the game Overall, what's what's the social aspect like for you? I, I could not agree with you more. And obviously, now that we're not playing in each other's homes, it has been a little challenging for the last month. And many of us are playing online, and it's just not the same. I think I don't think there's anyone out there that would say you know it's even close to being the same. Online play, you know, has been important. And and by the way, I I do know in speaking to a number of people, you know, around the country that it's hard for them to even find a game you know, in person. So they do either travel long distances and maybe they play once a week. And for some, it's been hard for them to find a game. We, we've tried to help them find games. Uh, and so they're, you know, they're playing online almost all of the time. I enjoy it, but it's certainly not the same. And I could not agree with you more. This community is just, it's amazing to me. It really is amazing. There's a you know, lots of different groups online, whether it's through Facebook or other social media sort of channels where you, know, you just you just feel so close to folks talking about, A, something that you like in, in the game, but then they're sharing other things. They're sharing their other hobbies and their creativity, that people who are making, you know, making sets or making tabletops or making, you know, bags to, you know, to carry around, just super creative people that are remarkable. One of my dearest friends or, you know, woman who I've met is a, a woman named M who lives in Australia, who makes me the most beautiful rack bags and tile bags. And, you know, it's just been great. So it's also expanded the friendships that go way even beyond the boundaries of this country. It's remarkable. And uh, I agree with you. It's probably, in my opinion, it's it's the best part of the game. It's, it's the, the friends that you've met and really solid friends that you can really trust and rely on. Because as you know, Ron, some of them have become some of our dearest friends at this point in our lives. And, you know, meeting new friends when you get to a certain age isn't always the easiest thing. And 
I think Mahjong has really helped in that area. And I think in some cases, uh, they almost become family. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Now, let's talk about learning a little bit, because you taught me to play Mahjong. And I remember when you first uh, were teaching me, I thought to myself, I, in fact, I just walked away from it because I'm like, I'm never going to get this. The card is too complicated. Trying to figure out these tiles are just way beyond my comprehension level. And one day I got out my set and I started laying out the tiles and the combinations that were on the card. And slowly it started to click. And once it clicked, I think is that's the point when you get hooked, then it becomes really your game to play. So I know that you also teach Mahjong. Mahjong is one of those games that's hard enough to learn. What's it like trying to teach people who don't know the game? Is there a certain process that you follow? And have you ever had anyone just walk away from it? Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back here just a little bit, Ron. I have taught a number of these classes. And fortunately, as of right now, no one has ever dropped out of any of the programs that I've done. But I would say something that you said a little while ago, and that is, it is tricky at the beginning. And it's not something that I can teach or anyone could teach in five minutes, and then you instantly know exactly what you're doing. So there is work involved. You know, I believe that at least four, if not five, two-hour classes is required, even get you to the point of really understanding what's going on. And, uh, but I, I, Really, first of all, I remember that we're teaching adults. Uh, adult learning is very different than you know teaching a child how to do something. So you're teaching adults. I try to get them very engaged right from the beginning. I think I've established sort of like a normal flow in the order in which you have to learn things before you get, it's all sort of like a building block sort of process. But the other thing is, and one of my teaching strategies is the quick win. I do everything in my power to make sure that I'm setting up the program so that I have people, every person in the group is making Mahjong before the class is over. I like to see them say Mahjong for the first time. And it, it, I think that's the hook that gets them coming back. And the first time that they can do that, when that light bulb really goes off and you hear them say, I never thought I would be able to do this. I never thought I'd be able to look at that card and figure out how that pattern works. That's very exciting to me. And it's probably the biggest joy that I get out of teaching is that first time that someone says, there it is, I'm, I'm, I just made Mahjong. So it's very exciting. And now not only teaching, but now you're also a tournament director, right? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, Ron, as you know, I, I play in a lot of tournaments. You mentioned Fern and Cheryl as uh, some of your, your guests earlier on. They run tournaments throughout the country, and I love tournament play. I, I think tournament play has made me a better player, unquestionably. When I started to look around in terms of where there were tournaments, uh, there were tournaments out on Long Island, there were tournaments in New Jersey, in Westchester, and then, of course, tournaments that take place around the country. And remarkably, there were very few, if any, tournaments in Manhattan. And there's a number of financial reasons why perhaps um, it was difficult to do that in Manhattan. But when I, I got very lucky in that a friend of mine who, her name is Harriet. Thank you. I hope you're listening, Harriet. But a friend of mine named Harriet uh, had a great idea. And she said, imagine if we could find a space that's already sort of set up to do something like this. And uh, we brainstormed a little bit. And Harriet told me about a place where she was playing socially at a the largest bridge club in the United States is actually on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It's called the Honors Bridge Club. Harriet introduced me to the owner, Jeff, and his wife, Barbara. 
And we talked about it. We said, here are these beautiful spaces already set up with card tables where people are playing bridge every day of the week. And uh, we were able to work out a nice deal. And now we're running monthly tournaments um, at his bridge club on the Upper East Side. And so we've gotten very popular. There are waiting lists to even play in some of these future events. And I think it just goes to show how many people in New York City were sort of like waiting for that opportunity to play you know, in tournaments without having to travel very far. It's been a great experience. We did the first one in December. And once things with COVID-19 go past us, and we know that they will, we hope to pick them up soon um, and when we can bring people safely back together in, in such a setting. I'm very much looking forward to attending one of those. I know I was supposed to be at one around your birthday and uh, COVID took care of that as well. But I know sometime in the near future, we're going to be back playing again. And I can't wait to be sitting at one of those tables in New York City doing just that. Barney, what's your favorite Mahjong memory? That's a good question, Ron. Um, I, I would say, first of all, there are so many memories, and there will be, I'm convinced, many, many more. Clearly, the memory of May 4th, uh, what will be my five-year anniversary sitting in Julie's home in Morristown, New Jersey, will certainly be a memory that I'll never forget. There was also one very special event, Ron, that uh, took place, I think it's coming up to a year and a half now, but there is a, a woman who anyone who knows anything about the Mahjong community and beautiful vintage sets and even beautiful, you know, modern sets, they know of a name of uh, Dee Gallo. And Dee is this very, very wonderful woman who literally creates her own special sets every year. And you go on a waiting list and hopefully you come off the waiting list because she only makes like 40 sets a year. And um, I was very proud to have one from a couple of years ago and she announced that she was making probably her last set ever was going to be the set that she released last year one of the things that d said which i thought was amazing is you know i i'm so excited i'm an artist i make these beautiful tiles and you know, i box them up in beautiful boxes and then i i ship them off to people's homes and i get beautiful emails you know thanking me and it's wonderful she said, but i really never got to experience the what is it like when someone sort of opens up that box for the first time and sees the tiles that I've made? So a year and a half, two years ago, she had this idea that she wanted to actually deliver in what she was calling a white glove delivery service. She wanted to actually deliver a set that she made to one of her, one of her customers. And don't ask me why, but she called me up and she asked me if I'd be interested in participating in that. And there was actually a film crew that came in from England who was working on a bigger project to talk about Mahjong in the United States. And that film crew came up to Vermont where we were. And Dee was there with me and some of our other dear friends. And she presented this set to me with the white gloves on and everything. And it was recorded. And hopefully this documentary will come out someday and I get, I'll get to re relive it because that experience that weekend in, in meeting D and playing with the set and being presented with the set is really very, very close to the top of the list of the, the most fun things I've ever done, both in Mahjong in anything, and uh, certainly will be a very special Mahjong memory forever. Well, I certainly look forward to seeing that when it comes out. When I'm watching shows on television and now all of a sudden you see 
a Mahjong game appear or like it did in that movie, Crazy Rich Asians. You kind of get a little excitement inside when it's like, oh, Mahjong. And that's <laughs> and you hear people like Julia Roberts playing now and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, and it's becoming so mainstream. I think it's getting more and more exciting for people, and we're going to see a lot more people join into the game. I think you're right. Now, Mahjong's been a big part of your life now for, you said, five years. And you, my friend, have quite the presence on Facebook and in Mahjong rooms. So knowing that some of your admirers will likely be listening to this podcast, is there anything you'd like to say to them? Well, they, they've they been such great friends, and um, and people have been so wonderful in, in reaching out to me and making comments about you know pictures that I post. One of the things that you know I love to do, Ron, is I love to set a, a beautiful table. And one of my friends, I think, said she created a word or she stole the word, I'm not exactly sure, called a tablescape, which is a word that I now love. And typically when I set up a table, I like to put other things on the table before we start to play. So people have been very complimentary about that. They they also have uh, followed some of the things that I've written. Um, I've written a couple of different articles, like when the new card comes out every year, I write an article about what my thoughts are in looking at that card on the first couple of days. I also, as I mentioned earlier, I believe my game has gotten better because of tournament play. And even though many people are afraid to play in that first tournament for lots of different reasons, you know, I I wrote uh, an article about, you know, getting ready to play in your first tournament. Lots of people responding back to me how important it was and how they've shared it with their other friends and people willing to play in their first tournament. So that was sort of wonderful. So just this incredible support and, you know, beautiful outreaches to me, you know, through social media and directly, you know, emailing me directly has been, has been wonderful. And again, I'm just very thankful that I've met so many wonderful people through this game. It is exciting in both tournament play and in our home play with the individuals that we play with regularly just how much a part of our lives they become and uh, how much more exciting they make a life that could have otherwise been mundane, right? So with, we have this incredible game that not only is just fun to play, but also these incredible people. And that's the world of Mahjong. So in the spirit of one of my favorite interviewers, James Lipton, who used to do from inside the actor studio, we lost him recently, and I just loved watching his show because the way the people would respond to the questions that he asked just kind of grabbed you. And so I always like to ask a few questions at the end of every podcast. Just uh, They don't have anything to do with Mahjong, but just questions in general. So the first one I have is, um, what is your favorite word? Oh, my favorite word. Well, Ron, you know, I have a lot of different passions in my life and, and Mahjong is one of them. But another thing that I'm very passionate about is spelling bees. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, I was a spelling bee contestant growing up and I now am the pronouncer of the words that we use in the spelling bees uh, in northern New Jersey. The spelling bee that actually you know sends a, a child to Washington, D.C. every year. And as I know, you know, because you and I spoke about it. For the first time since World War II, you know, there won't be a national spelling bee this year. And that is very sad. But hopefully we'll be able to do something for these kids who will not be able to go to Washington. But in the spirit of that, so spelling has also been a, uh, an important part of my life. And one of the spelling bees that I won early on was on the word bouillabaisse. And it was an interesting word because it's a tricky word and it's a word related to food. And probably just as much as I'm excited about spelling and mahjong, you know, Ron, I'm very passionate about food and restaurants. So no question. <laughs> it meant a lot to me and it was an interesting word. 
And uh, so I would say bully a base. And I won't even begin to try to spell it because I'd be thrown out in the first round. Um, so what are you not very good at? Oh, boy. I'm going to admit this to all your followers, Ron. I, you know, it's funny. There are certain aspects of my life where I am extremely patient. And even in teaching, I think there's an awful lot of patience that uh, is required to be a good teacher and even teaching adults. So there's been some patience involved in teaching Mahjong. But finishing projects sometimes has been something I'm not great at. I think because of this issue, again, of being bored, I start to do something, whether it's drawing or knitting or something where I just don't get to the point of actually finishing. And sometimes it's actually work for me to finish a project because I want to go on to the next one. I'm ready for the next challenge, the next exciting thing. So I would say the one thing I wish I could be better at is sort of more consistent patience throughout uh, all different aspects of my life. I'm not perfect at that. All right. And if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Wow. And I'm assuming it's not to make money here in my house, right? So I wish the, the no superpower. Well, it depends because if it's Fern and I playing with you and we're playing Mahjong, there's an opportunity for you to make a lot of money. So that is a possibility. <laughs> this is an odd one, Ron. I'm, I don't even know if you know this about me, but I would say that the number one thing that for me in terms of a superpower it would be the ability to speak every foreign language fluently and effortlessly. As you know, mm. I have traveled to many wonderful places around the world, and fortunately in many of those countries, English, or at least some, some form of English is spoken, but I've always thought about, imagine showing up to Thailand and being able to speak Thai fluently you know, to the locals. Uh, so I would say the one superpower for me would be be able to speak any language fluently anywhere in the world. All right. And for the last question, if you were a type of food, what would you be? If I was a type of food, what would I be? Okay. No laughter here. How about an orange? (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone will guess that. (laughs) (laughs) Orange is my favorite color. Lots of people know that. And um, I do like oranges. So even though there are a lot of things on that list of food that I totally love, many of which are not good for me, Uh, I would probably guess an orange because it's an easy answer. I think that's probably right. Well, Barney, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to uh, come and share the world of your world of Mahjong with us today. This was my pleasure, Ron. Thank you for having me. So there you are, another episode of Mornings with Ron. I hope something that we said throughout this podcast is something that you can use in your own life as you navigate your life's path. I always appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come and spend a little time with me every week. I hope these series that we're doing on passion and you're hearing from these people that are so passionate about what they do, inspire you to do something a little different in your life or whatever you're doing in life to do it just a little better. So until the podcast next week, where we'll have another passionate guest join us, I hope that you stay safe, stay well, and thank you so much for joining us today. 